Hello, I'm Paul Rose. Some of you might know me as Mr Biffo. And I'm here once again with my dear wife, Sanya. What was that? Rose. (laughs) That's too loud now. What are you trying to do? Rose. I'm I'm rolling my eyes. Sanya's having a nervous breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Always. So this is the big one. This is one that we have had a bit of a nightmarish couple of weeks with because we've not been able to talk about it to one another and we've done a lot of... A lot of listening. Listening. A lot of listening and a lot of writing notes. How many pages of notes have you got, Sanya? Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't count them. I've got eight. Have you? Yeah. I don't... Because I'm using... My word... Um, my word app wasn't working, so I was using pages. I don't think it counts. Okay, people pages. don't need to know all that. So what we're talking about this week is Misplaced Childhood, an album that probably needs no introduction, but you're going to get one anyway. The album which spawned Marillion's highest placing single, Kaylee, its second highest placing single, Lavender, was one of the biggest selling albums of 1985. An album that, in some respects, planted the seeds of Fish's departure from the band. Ooh. Ooh. That's exciting, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But before we get to that, uh, we've got a little bit of filling in, some blanks to do. Because after Fugazi came out, the band were not in the best position with their record company because Fugazi had cost an enormous amount of money which it hadn't entirely recouped. So there was a plan while Marillion were in the studio recording the follow-up to release a mini-album, which ended up being Real to Real. Oh. Recording the follow-up, which was going to be Misplaced Childhood, or yeah, was it going to be something else? Childhood, yeah. Okay. Yes. Ah. Uh, they put out this mini-album, which was a sort of a stopgap, basically, keep the fans happy, bring back some money that they had spent on the recording of Fugazi. And it's uh, it, it it features several tracks that don't appear anywhere else on an album by Marillion, unless you include Beef Encounter, but that's a, a or B-Size themselves. But that's another story. It's a weird live album because it, is, it isn't recorded at one concert. It's actually two concerts, one in Leicester, I think, and one in Canada. Oh, Canada. Yes, Canada. <laughs> yes. Canada. Oh, no, two very different places, Leicester and Canada. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> but united by a common language. Yes. Yes. Apart from Quebec. Okay. <laughs> I think we're getting distracted. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a wild tangent. Yeah. It's got probably the definitive versions of, of certain Marillion songs, such as Cinderella Search. It's got an amazing version of Market Square Heroes, Fugazi, Forgotten Sons. Oh, really? So, while they were writing Misplaced Childhood, they were touring and they were playing the album, or at least half the album. Not even half, actually. But they would play what they called track one, which was known as side one. Track two was going to be known as side two. That was the way the band were thinking about it. Two long tracks. Basically, two long tracks. They announced, much to the consternation of the record company, that they were going to do a good old-fashioned concept album, Mm -hmm. which, of course, is something that many a prog band have done in their time and was something that 
let's face it, Merrillian were probably always going to do it at some point or another. It was also potentially career suicide, (laughs) given that this was 1985. It was the year of Brothers in Arms, born in the USA, come out the previous year. Madonna's Like a Virgin, Wham! were in the charts. It was was not the time to be releasing a concept (laughs) album that was was a format that had died out the previous decade. Uh, but the band figured that they were probably going to get dropped by their record company anyway. So they just went, well, let's do what we want to do. Mm. And hence, Misplaced Childhood. Which, as they saw, it was just one long song. But, of course, it had to have a gap in the middle because, you know, yeah. vinyl back in those days. Yeah. Now, this is going to be a difficult one for us to talk about, isn't it? It is, yeah. Because, because way- as you yeah. said, it is basically one long song. Yeah, uh, so we're probably going to approach this slightly differently to the way we've done other episodes. We're not necessarily going to split it into side one and side two, because I think there needs to at least, in the first instance, be a kind of holistic approach yeah. to talking about the album yeah. as a whole. It also marks a really important step in the the story, I guess, which is something that I'm realising as we're going through this process that we're really, we're telling a story, you Mm. know, a story of a band and a story of individuals as much Mm -hmm. as anything else uh, with twists and turns along the way. Yeah. But this is, I guess, this is the second act. This is the point at which Marillion went from being a cult band to being a band which had an album in everyone's collection. And Misplaced Childhood was huge. You... I'd never heard of Marillion before, so you no, have no I've concept. got no idea. No idea. So how old were you when this came out? Well, this is this is this is what I was gonna get oh, to. Oh, if next. I if I can ask. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask a gentleman his age. I think you know how old I am. This is the point at which I discovered the band. Mm. We've established that Ian Grucock, a boy I was at school with, had given me a copy of Real to Real that I destroyed and I hadn't listened beyond the opening few bars of of um assassin. But I was watching Wogan. I used to watch Wogan a lot. Wogan was a chat show in the UK hosted by a guy called Terry Wogan. Mm-hmm. Hence the name. You know Terry I've, Wogan? I've heard of Wogan. I'm not really familiar with the show. No, it was on every night. Uh, really? Weeknights. Yeah, wow. it was huge. You know, half seven, I think it was on, or seven. But uh, they'd always have a musical guest. And that night, it was Marillion with their new single, Kaylee. Oh. Now, what's weird is that I I remember seeing that performance, but I and I know I went out and bought Kaylee the next day. Mm-hmm. But there's that about the sort of how ubiquitous Kaylee has become that I don't really remember. Kind of going, oh, I love that. So you don't remember your first impression of seeing it played on? Wogan, I remember watching it. it. I remember watching it. Yeah, and I obviously kind of went, "That's a really good song." Yeah, it must have. What happened? Connected I mean, with you in some way. At the time, I used to, I used to buy a lot of singles around then. You know, I used mm. to buy everything. I mean, I was looking at the uh, the top singles in um, uh, from 1985, and I was amazed how many of them I sort of owned. And I think it was just that, really. It was like, oh, it's an, oh that's a good song. Yeah, I'll oh, buy that. Yeah, I'll get that. Add it to the collection. Yeah, it yeah. was kind of like that. And then I think, I think 
I loved the B-side as much as I loved the A-side. The B-side was a song called Lady Nina, which we'll get onto probably next week. Mm -hmm. But the point that it really, or they really stuck for me was was when I bought the album, which I remember buying the album on cassette. Mm -hmm. And I can remember listening to it. I had never heard of anything that sounded like that. What was the gap in time between you buying the single well, and deciding si- that you wanted to buy the album? Well, the single the single came out in May 85 and the right. album came out the following month. Right. I think as much as anything, I mean, there was no escaping the single, right? Yeah. That, that, for that month. Okay? Yeah. They were on top of the pops. They were only held off number one because there was a charity single that, in any oh. of the Bradford fire, yeah. football fire disaster. That must have been frustrating for them. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's the sort of thing they can't complain about too much. No, <laughs> because true. Because yeah. of what they were held off by, yeah. a version of um, You'll Never Walk Alone. But they were everywhere. And I think as much as anything, and I'm going to be slightly cautious here because you and I, Sanya, have been talking, haven't we, about how we focus quite a lot on fish, mm-hmm. but... The other members of the band, you know, increasingly so, become lost step to the fore going forwards due to fish leaving, obviously. But Marillion are five people. But yeah. it was, there's no escaping it, that I think there was something I found just really sort of beguiling about fish. And it was that that lured me in as much as anything else. He is and was a really kind of magnetic presence in videos and TV appearances. And I think I must've seen interviews. And I I just, actually, no, I didn't see interviews because I remember on the album when there's the spoken word bit where he speaks and it was like, my God, Fish is Scottish. (laughs) Yeah, I remember being really surprised that Fish was Scottish. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It 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 was a combination of I like the song, mm. I love the cover artwork. Sorry, Sanya, but I you know singles didn't have artwork like that on them, and I loved you know I was uh, I you know you know me I as a kid I loved to draw and paint. Yeah, and the cover of Kaylee, you know, was airbrushed. I was fascinated with airbrushing, and so that lured me in. So it was a mixture of that. The artwork on the cover, the the logo, the band logo. Again, no other band had a logo like that. Mm. No one else had a lead singer like that. So no, in, no other song really sounded like that. Yeah. And so I wanted to get the album. So in a way, what you were talking about before, about them wanting to do this concept album with two, like one long song or, or two long songs that was so out of its time and didn't fit in with the other songs of the era is what sold it to you. Because it's like, wow, they're so different to everything else. Well, yeah, but I didn't know that's what they were doing. I thought I'd get an album of songs like Kaylee. Did you? As I'm sure a lot of other people did. Well, you were in for a surprise. Yeah, luckily it stuck with me. But I'm sure there must have been a lot of people who bought Misplaced Childhood. And kind of Expecting Kaylee. Kaylee, and particularly Lavender as well, you know, because that mm. was the second single. And kind yeah. of then, you know, off the back of those two, kind of went, what? what what's this? <laughs> yeah, I probably hated it. I'm sure there must be, because because Kaylee and Lavender are not representative of that album. They absolutely fit in with the narrative that it, it tells. But, my God, they don't fit in terms of, at least in terms of it being an album of, similar sort of mm. short pop rock songs. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I had at that point, I had nothing else to compare it to, either in terms of prog. I didn't know what prog was. I, my brother-in-law had a couple of Genesis albums. I never listened to them. Oh, you hadn't listened to Genesis or anything up to this point? No, I mean, well, yeah, Genesis, as far as I knew, uh, Phil Collins, pop version of Genesis. Wow. So I didn't, I didn't, I'd never heard of prog. I didn't know what prog rock was. You know, I, this was 1985. Prog was, it was like in Star Wars, the Jedi are a legend. But like, <laughs> yeah. a, le- yeah. a legend of prog. Yeah, something that most people hadn't heard of. And so, yeah, That's certainly my generation. So to me, I had nothing to compare it to. It just sounded like nothing else. I mean, weirdly, the other album of that year that I think is closest to it was Kate Bush's Hounds of Love, which we've seen in concert. Ah, which is similarly the same year. Yeah, which similarly has some quite commercial singles on there. And yet the album itself is sort of quite dense and, Mm. you know, tracks run into one another and it's quite arty in places. So I got the album and I put it on. I loved, again, the artwork on the cover as much because it was so... Not like, you know, this is the era of Duran Duran. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> this is I know, the era I see of mean, yeah. Duran Duran. And bands with photographs on their covers of their singles and their albums. Mm. No one was quite doing... brave of them, really, then. Well, case. it was astonishingly brave of them. And, yeah, as I say, it was career suicide, but they were trying to do what they wanted to do. As it turned out, that kind of worked you know, and the, the record company who were apparently pressuring them to deliver a single the band hadn't written a single even Kaylee happened by accident famously the story that Rothers tells that he was he was showing his then girlfriend I think he was talking about how to do rhythm and uh lead guitar at the same time using pedals and stuff and accidentally created that riff oh wow <laughs> um it was by accident and even then, the version of Side One that they played live, uh, it wasn't finished. It didn't have Lavender on it. So, again, the other single wasn't on there. You know, when they used to play this live towards the end of 1984, Kaylee was unfinished. You know, Fish would mumble lyrics, make them up on the spot. It was like the last lyric that he completed for the album. They apparently went out for a meal and they, they said, by the time we're back, you've got to finish this. Because I think by that point, they kind of knew, well, this could kind of be a single, I suppose. And the record company were putting pressure on them. We need a single. We need a single. Mm. Uh, it happened by accident. None of it was by design. They happy were, accident. Yeah, a very happy accident. So mm. that was how I got into Marillion, everyone. And from there, I did not look back. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. Then it became a question Yeah. Of, so what did you think of the album when you heard it? So you you went in expecting an album of Kaylee's and Lavender's. Mm. And, Lady, what, and Lady Nina's. And Lady Nina's. And so what was your first I, impression? I think my first impression, I was intrigued because it was so different to anything else I'd ever heard. The singles that I used to buy were, oh my God, I can't believe I'm admitting this. Yeah, I, I bought The Lion Sleeps Tonight by Tight Fit. I love that song. Okay, <laughs> Okay, it may be a great song, <laughs> but it's not like Blind Curve on Misplaced Childhood. <laughs> you know, that's, it, it, it broadened my horizons of what music could be, mm. this album. 
And as a 14-year-old, sorry, I never answered how old I was oh, yeah. when I heard it. As a 14-year-old, it, 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 yeah, there's no getting away from it. It changed my life. It absolutely changed my life. And I think what appealed to me, as well as that artwork, because I love, you know, artwork, and then what I went on to do for a living, which some of you might not know, but I, I write TV scripts for a living. Storytelling is kind of in my blood as well. And so here was an album that told a story. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> I didn't know that. You could do a whole album that's like a, like a movie with a sort of beginning, middle and end. That's amazing. <laughs> I didn't know bands had been doing it for like 15 years by that point. Yeah. But aside from that, it did. It just, just opened up a whole new world of what creativity could be to me. It really did on you know, a visual sense, storytelling sense, a performance sense with, with Fish. Um, I mean, it's interesting because by the point that I, I got into them, Fish had ditched the, the face paint. He was still wearing the face paint at the tail end of 1984, but before they went out and toured Misplaced Childhood, he ditched the face paint, he ditched the hippie-style clothing and was wearing sort of tracksuits and well, he had a tartan suit, but wore his kilt in videos and stuff. But he uh, he was sort of more approachable, I guess, and that for me with this album is something that I think is a is something across this album. You look at the artwork, it's brighter, it's more inviting. The cover is it's blue and there's a rainbow and the jester's mm. buggering off out the window, you'll be glad to hear. <laughs> um, and then on top of that, you've got a lead single like Kaylee that is a love song. In many respects, the simplest song they've ever done. In, lyrically, it's just a song about sort of being in love and splitting up with someone and heartbreak. And but you know, done in the most sort of direct way Fish has ever ever written about that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, there's no sort of dripping through shades of green, through shades of blue, or any of that. It's just a guy singing a, about failed relationships. Mm. And then on top of that, Fish had taken away the the face paint. They weren't dressed up as monks anymore. Their videos were straightforward. Was that their decision, or do you think the record company told them? I think or suggested I, I think it to was. I think it was that. theirs. Yeah, I think Fish was was ready by that point because you saw it during the Fugazi tour. He the face paint. It, he was painting less and less on. It would just be around the eyes, and then then he ditched it. Hmm. But that's also interesting in terms of what the album's about. It's symbolic in and of itself in terms of the journey that the album takes us on. Mm. So, how do we want to do this? <laughs> oh, boy. I mean... Well, should I give you a bit of, just a few Oof. facts about the album first? Yeah, go on. Okay. It was recorded at Hansa Studios in West Berlin at a time... Oh, the, was it? Yeah, Germany? when the wall was still up. Uh, Hansa is a really famous studio where David Bowie recorded Heroes, which was... Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah, which was written about the view outside the window. 
of the studio. It's the same studio that literally the same studio that Meridian recorded in. Wow. Apparently, the the record recording booth or the sound oh sorry the control room was out of windows that overlooked the wall. And Bowie had seen a couple embracing in the shadow of the wall. Apparently, while they were recording, Meridian used to blast their music out over the at the guards on the watchtowers and stuff. Um, so it was recorded, uh, yeah, Hansen Studios in an old ballroom. The producer was a guy called Chris Kimsey, who he had previously produced albums by the likes of the Rolling Stones, Psychedelic Furs, The Cult, and Duran Duran. So he's not an obvious choice necessarily, but apparently when he heard what Marillion, you know, had been demoing and writing, he loved the theatricality of it. Apparently he was big into film scores and and theatre, musical theatre and the like. So and that's what drew him in. Oh. Um, he also produced their next album, but we'll get onto that in a couple of weeks. It's their shortest album at 41 minutes. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah. Now, shortest Fish Era album or shortest ever? I think ever? it's their shortest ever. It got to number one. Unlike Kaylee, 20th best-selling album of 1985. So the concept for the album, here we go again, was dreamt up by Fish on a 10-hour acid trip. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I didn't see that coming. I actually didn't. You didn't? No, I didn't. Apparently he hadn't taken acid for a couple of years at that point. And he received a letter from an ex-girlfriend which had a tab of acid in it. What, as you do? Yeah. And he took the first... No, had two tabs of acid, I think. Right, side one and side Side two. Side one and side two. He took the first one, and it wasn't having much effect, apparently. Mm. So he necked the second, then he thought, oh, I'm going to ride over to Steve Rothery's house, because they live nearby. He got got on his bike and Mm -hmm. cycled over to Steve Rothery's. Apparently, by the the time he got there, he was in a very, very bad way. So Rothers drove him home. Fish locked all the doors and windows. Oh, my goodness. And tried to ride out this bad trip. And it was during that bad trip that he wrote down what would become the backbone of Misplaced Childhood, which was partially inspired that night by seeing the ghost of a drummer boy on his stairs, which he saw out the corner of his eye, which is the boy that features on the cover. And Fish interpreted that as the spirit of his childhood. Of his misplaced childhood. His misplaced childhood. Oh, my goodness. I'm getting goosebumps. Yes. <laughs> wow. That's intense. Yeah. Um, that is intense. I, mean, I should say, by the way, the boy, is the actual model for the boy was Mark Wilkinson's neighbour's son. <laughs> not, yeah, Mark Wilkinson's neighbour's son didn't die in a period of Fish's house. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was the ghost of a drummer boy that, that Fish saw as a representation of everything that he'd lost in this sort of ascent towards fame. By the end of this trip, Fish knew that he had the concept that they'd been looking for and apparently rang Rothers and the rest of the band to say, I've got it. It was a sort of eureka moment. So then they decamped to try and piece it all together. Let's deal with how different it sounds to what has gone before. Wow. I think it's recognisably Marillion. But... (laughs) I've been trying to put into words what it is about it that sounds different. There's a sort of... It was Fugazi was like really, as we have established, really sort of angry and bitter. Mm. This, for long swathes of it, he sounds broken. Whereas 
Fugazi for me sound, yeah, you know, and we're talking musically as well here. The music sort of seems to back that out. out. The music's lashing out on yeah. Fugazi. Whereas here, it's painting a picture much more sort of vividly, but in quite a restrained way. Mm. I, I've never felt that this is an album where they're showing off. There's a sort of confidence to it. There's sort of passages where they're just happy to sort of let the music flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's a, It sounds sort of very dense, but it is actually not a showy off kind of album. Yeah. It sounds like a real step up musically. Yeah. But in a way that it it feels like the music is giving fish space. And there are points at which Fish gives the music space, if that makes sense. It feels like they're both getting out of each other's everyone way. Everyone lets everyone speak. I mean, yeah, one thing that stood out to me, it was like, first of all, I have I described it as a kind of multidimensional experience because it, it just, it's kind of all-encompassing. Mm. Whereas, I mean, it was such a huge difference because I had like a day break between listening to... So I basically went straight from Fugazi into listening to Misplaced Childhood. And it really hit me how different it was. Mm. Yeah, me too. Even the, though the I know these albums. The contrast was so strong. Yeah. Right from the off. Right from the beginning. It, it really feels like they have ascended to the next level. Yeah. Whereas Fugazi, it's very different to script. But for me, it feels like it's a sidestep yeah. rather than moving forwards in terms of i mean it does in some respects certainly the drums are, are better and they, they certainly are tighter and have more sort of attack in what they're doing but this it felt like a real it's not a step up it's a leap forwards yeah in terms of their mu- musicianship yeah and i felt like there was a real synergy between the instruments and fish yeah so do you remember in um, Emerald Lies, how I said it sounded like a cacophony. Mm. Like everyone was talking over each other and you just couldn't make sense out of what anyone was saying. And it was just, it was unpleasant. Here, there were points where the music came together in the similar sort of way where everyone was sort of playing together, but it was in harmony. Mm. I think the music here is used, except for on the the, the obvious single points, I think they use it broadly here very much more as texture mm. to tell a story. Yeah. In the way that they perhaps did going back to Grendel. Mm. I think that, you know, that was the last time for me that they used music in that way. But here they saw sort of perfected it. Mm-hmm. You know, Rothers was keen to sort of do uh, music soundtracks for films. Uh, and here... You can see that. I experienced this album as a film. Yeah. I mean, yeah, one of the one of the things that I wrote down in my notes was that it felt like Fish took the theatricality that came to him so easily in the previous albums or come so naturally to him and he turned it into something cinematic. Mm. The whole album, I wasn't well, this is what I meant by multidimensional as well before. I wasn't just listening to it. As I listen, I have images going through my mind. It really takes you on a journey. And at the same time, then brings up feelings and emotions. So that's like an added layer. So that's really interesting that you're talking about Rothers doing music soundtracks. Yeah. but it's the it way, was, yeah. for me, that w- it was like a, 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 a movie soundtrack. But it's the way they're all in sync in order to do that. Yeah. This is the band that 
There's a synergy there. They've been together for two albums by this point. This lineup. This mm. is the you know the longest lineup a lineup of Marillion had lasted up until that point. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. And it it really feels like they're all pulling in the same direction. It feels That's very it. yeah very focused on what they want it to be. And what they wanted was to make a great concept album, and a great concept album should tell a story. There's reasons why this is often sort of voted one of the greatest concept albums of all time because it is. But, is it? It's voted one of the greatest. Concept yeah, albums yeah, of all oh time. yeah. It's, it's, really, you know, in, I didn't in know that. In prog magazine and stuff, it's always up there with like really? Big Floyd's The Wall and Lamb Lies Down on Broadway and stuff like that. It's very much considered one of the best, you know, normally in the top five somewhere. For good reason. Yeah. But on top of that, they also somehow managed to produce an absolutely brilliant pop rock single. Oh, yeah, you know, inside it. By accident, which fits with the concept. Yeah. Two of them, at least, you know, and then Heart Lothian, which, you know, is probably fits into the album better in terms of, or at least it's probably more representative of the album for those who oh, are familiar. Oh, for newcomers, right. Yeah, it, that's, yeah, which did, when it was released, the single did only get to number 29. So, you know, it didn't, it didn't repeat the, uh, the, the rather stellar performance of, of the previous two singles. So what do you think it's all about? We've established we like it. You love it, in fact, don't you? You've been, yeah, you've I was been... blown away by it. I mean, I was a bit... I'm still processing it. I don't think that... It's so dense, I suppose, is the word, and got so many different elements and bits to it that I, I haven't... I'm still, I am still processing it. Um, I've not seen you so far in this... Uh, on this podcast get so into one of their albums. Yeah, I don't think I have. This is the most that you've really immersed yourself in one. You've been working, yeah. trying to wrap your head I mean, even it, here, but... I'm sitting here and I don't know where to start. It feels a little bit overwhelming. All right, well, let's um, take it Let's take it as that, that, that holistic view. The holistic view, I can't say what it is about, but I can say how I interpreted it. And for me, it was... Right from the beginning, it was Fish stepping away from that bitter, nasty voice that he had in Fugazi. It felt like it was his journey or a journey, a hero's journey almost through the stage. Like this is how I saw it. It was him going through the stages of grief and loss. So you know like how they say there's um, like denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then finally acceptance. And this album feels like him taking a journey, or taking us, taking us on a journey through those stages, but they're not linear. They're, they're kind but of... But they're not... And they're not circular. Of, yeah, the stages they're, of grief are not linear, they're are not they? Linear. they? You go back and forwards They're like them. waves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and they're waves in the, also in the sense that you get stronger waves and you get weaker waves yeah and waves is actually a really nice way of describing how the album flows it yeah, feels it like is. it flows in and that out that is so true yeah musically it ebbs and flows musically as well as emotionally it really ebbs and flows as an album that is yeah wow 
That's such a good way of putting it. Well, you can thank yourself for that. Oh, um, (laughs) (laughs) thanks, self. Funnily enough, I had a similar take. And I saw Fugazi as the anger stage. That's exactly it. I saw... Okay, so this is my theory. It began way back in script Mm. because there were bits in script where it's like he's grieving, but then he's in denial. He's, I mean, him. It might not be him. Again, like in the web, trapped in his apartment, getting drunk and blah, 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 blah. Um, Fugazi just stuck in anger. And I have so much more empathy for him in Fugazi now like you know before I was like oh he's so bitter oh my goodness Emerald lies so nasty but this is Um, what I mean now it's like oh no he was just trapped in anger this is what I mean about this telling a story Mm. looking at these albums in isolation you get a snapshot it's like looking at a photograph of someone yeah but what it's not showing you is everything that happens either side of that yeah it doesn't tell yeah. The full story. Yeah. And what we're doing here is we're He's, looking at what's side. It's getting so it's giving such a, a clearer picture of the previous albums. Bringing something else into this is so Fugazi, it seemed like he was, he seemed to be sort of trapped in that anger and bitterness stage. But a lot of people say that anger's a secondary emotion and it's there as kind of like a protection or a barrier, an armor for something much more vulnerable underneath that maybe you're not ready well, to acknowledge Well, ang- anger is effectively, it, it, it's a distillation of fear, isn't it? Or yeah. it's a reaction to or fear of being be afraid. Fear or, or sadness mm. that you don't want to feel. I've described it as a spiky shield. Mm. So it's a shield in that it's protecting that vulnerable part of you, but it's got spikes on it. Yeah. Like don't get too close or it's going to stab you. It'll cut your <laughs> Um But, and what I, I'm getting the sense in misplaced childhood is he's worked up the courage to look behind the shield or beneath that Mm. armor and he's reaching that more vulnerable place so he doesn't need that anger anymore to protect Mm. those vulnerable places now he's telling the story of what's beneath what's really interesting with that as well i think is how his lyrics have changed on this album they're much more direct Mm. It all comes back to him literally losing the mask. Mm. He's not hiding behind a thesaurus anymore yeah. on this album. There's still some amazing lyrics, in, but he's using... He's not hiding behind them. He's not them, hiding like. behind them. And in the same way that he's not, he's hiding, not hiding behind, behind, behind the mask. He's not hiding behind that image. Yeah. yeah. There was a part of me as well that I kind of, when I was listening to it, I was thinking, wow, it took him a bloody long time to get over whatever the hell broke his heart. But actually what it was, was several relationships and one particular relationship with a certain someone called Kay that was on again, off again. So it wasn't like there was one big... The oh. reason why this is dragged out over three albums. Right, because I I did uh, wonder that. I'm, I thought the same thing. It's like, whoa. Yeah. This, this, this has really stayed with him for a long time. Mm. But yeah, I guess that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was his big relationship, but they would get back together, split up, get back together, split up. Kaylee is actually not just about... K. We'll get into the the oh, actual songs. I'm curious um, now. We'll get into the songs a bit more probably next episode. Mm-hmm. The individual songs, but yeah, it was actually apparently about several ex girlfriends. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay, but K was the was the big one. But it feels this album that that he, unlike perhaps Script and Fugazi, this feels like an album where he 
comes to a certain uh, understanding and peace by the end of it and mm. stops looking inwards and starts looking outwards. Mm-hmm. I think there was a, a t- an attempt to do that with Fugazi. But also at the same time stops looking outwards and starts looking inwards. He stops looking outwards to lay blame on others and yeah. saying, you did this, you're like that. You took that away from me. I've got this hole in myself because of you. And starts looking inwards and yes. says, oh, I found what I'm looking for. But that's what I'm saying is that's yeah. part of the journey. By the end of the album, the last song on there, White Feather, mm. it's about the world as a whole. It's not, not okay. you know, he's kind of gone, right. He, he's, he's, he's looked at himself. He's kind of gone, this is what's wrong. I need to fix it. I need to get back in touch with my childhood that I'd lost. We'll get into why he lost it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and that's the penultimate track, Childhood's End, is, you know, I found a child that I thought had disappeared. Mm. So he's got that out of the way. And that, and then for me, by the end track, he's kind of like, wow, uh, I'm okay. What needs doing? Yeah. <laughs> it real, it's a real journey. Yeah, it the is. The album. But it feels like a consolidation of what he's been reaching for with script and Fugazi. Mm. It feels like he's got clarity on this album. Mm. This is the album where either it's through a acid trip or a lot of sitting down and self-reflection where he's kind of gone, enough is enough. I got to stop wallowing and I've got to sort myself out. I've but got in to look order at to what do the problems that, are. In order to do that, he kind of goes on a hero's journey into the underworld oh that's interesting goes right down into the depths of well this is my interpretation what it felt like we're all getting a bit grendel here it it, all going what going a bit grendel going a bit grendel here it feels like he dives right into the depths of despair it feels like to me i could be wrong finds fights his monsters and his demons finds what he's looking for and then comes back up yeah and comes home, and comes home a changed man. But he tells that story without hiding behind metaphor. That's what's different here. Mm. He's not hiding behind, oh, it's about a monster. Yeah. You know, going into the depths. He's He's saying, this is where I'm at. Yeah. This is how I'm feeling. This is me. And none of it is... is hidden behind a mask anymore you know i keep saying that but it's it it's really telling how nakedly emotional he is on this album yes he's done it before but there's all that poetry that almost gets in the way Mm -hmm. where there was also always that sense of it's a young man trying to impress Mm -hmm. whereas here Mm. there's a maturity to it that which is the irony because it's about him rediscovering his childhood or his inner child yeah there's a maturity to what he what he's writing here, which is reflected in the music as well. They mature as songwriters on this album. Everything about it feels more grown up. Yeah, I agree. What is interesting, though, it's not simply about Fish getting over a relationship. The lost childhood, the misplaced childhood, is as much about his loss of innocence in other ways which has come as a result of him being fish. This He says, I got a quote here from him, uh, that he says it was about whether, it's not a quote, I've just paraphrased it. I have some paraphrasing here from fish. <laughs> <laughs> it was about whether he was really Derek or whether he was really fish. 
Oh. If you want to, my interpretation is the jester's fish, the child, the drummer boy is Derek. And that's why the jester's buggering off out the window. And, and he's and, finding Derek. Again. Yeah, the drummer boy is, is front and centre. He'd lost touch with sort of friends. He, not only that, lost touch with what grounded him. You look at Fish today, you know, he's a homebody. He, he just likes pottering around in his garden. But being a rock star, being on the road 50 weeks of the year or whatever, took him away from all that and took him away from who he was. Which again, for me, is the losing the makeup that he wore. All of it is is just about him rediscovering him, who he is yeah, and kind of going, "This is who himself. I am." Yeah. So and reclaiming himself and saying, "This I am enough as who I am. I don't need to have a mask. I don't need to be a jester. Mm. I'm enough as myself." Yeah, I yeah. People in his his personal life call him Derek. Oh, I've <laughs> often wondered that. Yeah, yeah. His wife calls him Derek. The other thing that's happening as well on this album is his voice. He's not doing that. Oh, my God. What you described last jester. time as the jester voice. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, he only, I noticed it, I noticed it once a briefly in um, Brief Encounter. Uh, but it, even then it was, it was just like after the spoken word bit. It, it started to turn a little bit jestery, but even then it was like a lot softer. Yeah. Like he's singing his real voice. Yeah. He's not doing that, oh, it's that so much nicer. higher register that mm. he often sung in, which mm. clearly wasn't really how he how his voice wanted to sing. Yeah. But again, for me, that makes it more accessible. That makes it more relatable and easy to connect again, with. Again, everything about this is because he's being congruent. Yes. On this album. Yeah. He's not pretending to be anything else. Mm. Uh and it's interesting that perhaps the band aren't either. It's a concept album. You think the band were before? Well, look, look at look at Grendel, right? They were they were playing at being Genesis. Okay, here is where oh, for okay. me, interesting. So here you- is where for me, both band and Fish find their voice. Mm. There's there's elements in Misplaced Childhood for me that remind me of Marilia's most recent album, Fear. I can see real parallels there. Really? Big time. They don't sound the same. I'm not saying they just kind of rewrote Misplaced Childhood. In what sense? Do you mean kind of like the bigness of the sound all coming There's together? A, well, funny enough, the track, uh, One Tonight, uh, come, oh, right. come together. Yeah. The second I heard that, I thought, wow, that could have come off Misplaced Childhood. When you hear White Feather and Childhood's End, sorry, Childhood End? Uh, <laughs> Uh, when you hear that, it yeah. just reminds me of that same sort of euphoric end that it builds to where you've gone through lots of those those waves, those e- mm. the ebb and flow, and reach that big sort of euphoric punch-the-air ending where we all yeah, come together. Yeah, I see what you mean. So this, for me, yeah, is when Marillion put a pin in This Is Us. This is who we are. We do this sort of music, which is cinematic, with a real pop sensibility underneath it. Hmm. Yeah, Lavender and Kaylee are pop songs. There's no escaping it. And Marillion have done some bloody great pop songs in their time. Yeah, on the next album, there's at least two crackers. And then going into the H era, they, they, they know how to write a good pop song, but they also know how to do something that tells a story. And it's that, for me, is is 
the secret of Marillion and what I love about them and mm. why I've stuck with them all this time because no other band does it in quite the way that they do it. Mm. And this is the point at which they've discovered that through two albums of effectively experimentation, one album of of kind of, I suppose, paying tribute to their their influences, a second album where they're trying to discover their sound and then this, boom, misplaced childhood. Yeah. It's just appears fully formed i don't know if this fits with the theme of the album but i imagine if, if i'm thinking in terms of seasons this album to me feels like it's the equivalent of early spring so you've got a crispness in the air it's there's still a hint of the the cold weather but there's a real sense of new life and aliveness and growth and vitality in the music mm, that's interesting because I've, I've there's never still seen... the shadow of winter yeah hanging still it's still close by you're not fully out of winter yet i but, can see but that. there's a real sense of everything is coming alive again i can see that i've never felt spring when i hear it what do you what do you feel what season would you paint it as for me it's still winter just some of the imagery on there in blind curve in bittersweet. But that's why I'm saying it's early spring. It's mm. You're not fully in spring, but there's so much vitality in Heart of Lothian and Lord of the Backstage. Mm. Lords of the Backstage. <laughs> Lords of the Backstage. There's so much just upward movement, mm. which is the feeling of spring. Everything is pushing through the earth and, and growing. Mm. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's... It- is self-actualization, isn't it? Yeah. Which that yeah. that is represented by growth. I feel a real sense of sadness at what you said before that this album, which seems like they finally come together and grounded themselves as themselves and you said before that it was fish planting the seed of leaving them yeah it's it's so it's almost like this is like the pinnacle of in some respects certainly well it's the commercial time together it's the commercial pinnacle and the that loss of innocence that fish writes about on this album yeah the loss of childhood Unfortunately, the success of this album made that worse. Yeah, so I was going to ask you that because um, if the album is about him losing himself to this fish character and kind of... Well, no, the album isn't about that. It's about him finding himself again. I was going to say, well, didn't they become big during this album? Like, not big, sorry, massive. The stuff that fish... During this album. So how does that... How does that fit in? The stuff that Fish struggled with got worse. And then he left. Which is, yeah, interesting. Because he, so he found himself. Mm. He found the his inner child, the drummer boy. Yeah. And then lost him again? I mean, or I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to give away too much about clutching at oh, straws. Oh, okay. I have to wait and see. But again, this is a story. Wait and see. There's another chapter to go yet mm. in, in this story. Those listening who know Marillion and know Clutching at Straws will know what I'm alluding to. 
But yeah, that was the big irony with this. It was Fish yeah. saying, coming out the other end and saying, I'm sorted out. Yeah. And then their manager, John Arneson, turning around and going, right, lads, another tour, another tour. Right, no no time off, another tour. Oh, dear. And they got burnt out and yeah. they started to desperately need some time apart, which they never got. Mm. Yeah, they've all, st- I'm not going to get into it. Yeah. <laughs> save, save it for clutching straws. For next time, but um, I'd love to know what the other band members were going through at that time. Well, and this was something, again, I'll get into a bit more when we get to clutching at straws. They were all settling down. Fish was suddenly a. This, the, is, this is during Misplaced Childhood. Around this time. They were all committing to relationships. And, I mean, Mark Kelly already had kids, I think, at this point. Fish was suddenly the only bachelor in the band. Oh. And so, band and Fish had different priorities. And then on top of that, on top of that, Fish, because he's Fish, was suddenly the icon of Marillion. And so it was... Everyone wanted a piece of fish. Everyone wanted to interview fish. The other band members, you know, I've wa- I watched the other day a, a interview with Fish and Pete Duravis. Yeah, that's what it was billed as. Pete didn't say a single word. He just sat there while this guy was interviewing Fish. And Aww. was the guy asking questions to both of them, and only Fish was answering? Yeah. Or was, or was the interviewer only focusing on Fish? It was a bit of both a thing. But, I mean, we don't know how it was edited, but regardless, anything Pete said was ed- kind of edited out. So people were only interested in Fish, and this was the point at which Fish became <laughs> Marillion in the eyes of the public. Mm. This is, And it's a shadow that still continues to this day. Yeah. As, as, we saw him on, on Gardener's World the other week. Yeah, and yeah. he was introduced Marillion as, singer Fish. Yeah. Yeah. And... Poor Steve Hogarth, who has more than earned his place yeah, and right to sure. be uh, as big an icon as Fish, is still considered the new boy, despite the fact he's done 14 albums with them and Fish only did four. Mm. Fish cast a long, long shadow, and this was the point at which that shadow became cast. Yeah, this and is the they, tallest point that created such a huge shadow. Yeah, and that and the, the, really the band have yet to escape and and never will. Fish will always be former lead singer Fish. Marillion will always be forever associated with Fish, despite the fact they only did four albums with him. Which And those albums were produced... He was in the band for seven years. Mm. H has been in the band for 32. 32? <laughs> yeah. He's been in the band for 32 years? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So... <laughs> and do you think they should have changed their name well that's a conversation we can have when we get to season's end oh okay all right we'll park that <laughs> we're gonna park that one because that 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 is definitely gonna come up oh okay curious okay well that i think was a bit of a ramble this week yeah but it's so hard to try and put it into <clears throat> some sort of because it is, it's so dense and so huge. For a short album, to try and it's squash it into <laughs> yeah. To try and squash it into an hour or however long it's been and try and make sense of what we want to say about it. It's not easy. Well, let's try. Yeah, I didn't find but, that easy. No, I didn't. 
strange, isn't it? Even though mm. you and I have been working at this. I mean, I kind of just want to stop it and start from the beginning. We're going to do that in the next episode. We are? Okay, good. We're going to do Oh, because we're going through the track. We're going to go Yeah, okay, good. Because as you were track. talking, I was thinking, oh my God, I want to say something about pseudo silk kimono there. And I'm like, just save it for when we get up to that bit. Yeah. We have done, if nothing else, this week, we have successfully painted a picture of how difficult it is to talk about misplaced childhood. I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really blown away by it. It has really stayed with me. It's really stayed with me more than the other albums. And okay, I came to it, I came to it not with a clean slate because I came to it with you and our friends raving about it. I, I tried not to listen too much because I want to have form my own opinion. Um, so it was like, okay, put everyone's opinions out of your mind and just listen to it as if it's as if you've never heard anyone mention it before. Mm. And it had a really big effect on me. Would you say it had a profound effect on you? Yeah. It has, hasn't it? It I've, has. I've it's seen, had a really profound I've effect I've seen how on it's, it's uh, how you've been with it over the last couple of weeks. I know. I, um, it's confusing. <laughs> What's totally, confusing? I don't understand why I've been so affected by this one album. Because it's a great album. It's a classic And I've album. listened to it so many... I mean, this is like also how I mark whether... I, I'm enjoying something. If I can listen to it a billion times and still be hearing new stuff and and finding out new stuff on the millionth listen, I haven't listened to it a million times. I haven't listened to it as much as you have, I'm sure. But um, And I did. I've listened to it so many times and I still enjoy it as much as the first time. Yeah, and I do. And I've been listening to it for 35 years. Mm. And I still do. And I still listen There's to it so and I'm much not bored there. of it. It it's because it, it it's for me it's my Star Wars of music. Yeah. You know, I, I never get bored of watching Star Wars. Mm. And Misplaced Childhood, I never get bored of listening to it because it's so, so much in there. It's so, so diverse musically, so rich. That's the word. It's a very rich album. That's that's mm. there's no better word from it than that. And I think that. I'm finding it hard to I'm finding it hard to put into words because it's not so much an intellectual experience. So maybe because he wasn't hiding so much behind his words as he was in the earlier albums, it's not as um, wordy and theatrical. Mm. Well, theatrical in its own way. No, it's cinematic rather than theatrical. Um, my experience of it wasn't as mental and intellectual. My experience of it was more emotional. And that for me is... And so trying yeah. to describe that isn't as easy. It's a feeling rather than, yeah, an intellectual process. But I think that is what I picked up on when I first heard it when I was 14. Mm. It affected me emotionally. And I yeah. don't think at that point music ever had. I liked a pop song that you could dance to or sing along to. This was the first time music had ever... And I, and I think I, he's written it emotionally he has it's it's yeah he, he, as i say it's he's very, not he's not using the thesaurus for this he this is yeah. coming straight from his core it's very naked yeah and very raw and very real and i at 14 i didn't really know what it was about but there's there's such realness baked into it musically lyrically vocally and such authenticity baked into it 
that it just went in and I kind of went, okay, blimey, there's something special about this. Yeah, I think that's how I felt. There's something special about this. There's a ghost on it. (laughs) (laughs) There is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a ghost on it. Yeah, right. If you haven't heard the album, there's that's this, so cool. There's this ghost every now and then. It goes. Oh. Listen out for the ghost boys and yeah. girls. I'm the spooky ghost child. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> I think we should leave it there for this week because okay. we really struggle with that. Yeah, we did. We really struggle. But next week, what we're going to do is that's we're going to. That's what I think. Like, I was afraid of that's not it, being able to. That's it. You just keep interrupting it... me oh, when sorry. I'm trying to wrap up again. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking to me. I didn't know you were recording. <laughs> <laughs> go. Where was I? I'm trying to wrap up. Yeah. So next week, we're going to go through the album track by track, which will, I hope, give us a little bit more clarity and allow us to tackle it in a chronological order. I think that'll work probably better than this. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah. I mean, I'm coming to this. I was like, I really hope that I can do the album justice in my trying to talk about it. And I don't feel I did in this episode. I don't feel I have. Either. I don't, I yeah. don't, I really don't feel I did, but you know, too, oh well, too it, long, is, it is what it is. Too long. Didn't listen. Great album. <laughs> <laughs> TLD no TLDL TLDL didn't listen great album why don't you in the meantime email us beampod at gmail.com with your thoughts on the album we've had a couple of emails so far but perhaps we'll read them out we'll do a we'll do a post bag when we uh yeah, when we get that. enough and we'll do a bit of a, a post bag mm. so yeah why not email us with your first your first encounter with misplaced childhood i'd love to hear that and we'll read out should we have like a special episode maybe of mail we could mail do read yeah mail reading mail place childhood misplaced malehood no. malehood oh god that sounds rude oh dear yeah moving on <laughs> right check us out on twitter at bmpod check us out on facebook at bmpod um Sanya's hiding her head in shame at the use of the phrase malehood. <laughs> Mis- misplaced malehood. Okay, repeating it's not gonna help. <laughs> it's not gonna help. <laughs> right. Say something else. Uh please subscribe, please tell your friends about us, and we'll see you on hopefully a more coherent episode next week. Fingers crossed. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.